Um, today is the first day of Advent. Did you know that? And so traditionally, there are four and then one more candles. And the first candle is called the candle of hope or the candle of prophecy. And it is really great for us to actually just walk through these four weeks of uh, Advent. You know, Advent is different from Christmas. Advent is the preparation for Christmas, the looking out for, looking out in the darkness, in the silence for the, for the Christ. Yeah. Um, I'd like to read from you a passage from Micah um, that was a prophecy. And we'll read it from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah. And I'd like to especially uh, focus on this theme that we've been going on, too little. <laughs> but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah. Not even a clan, right? From you, one will spring forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. And this was fulfilled in Mary. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name, of the, of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. It's very interesting that prophecy uh, and hope are so well linked. So this is the, the first uh, day of Advent is the day of prophecy, the candle of prophecy and the, and the candle of hope. Um, I like that because of the fact that great things happen from very small seeds, even a speck. And that's why I like the fact that prophecy is of a whole different kind of speech than any other kind of speech. We tend to think of the Word of God or prophecy as a predictive thing, right? a predictive statement about what is going to happen. I want to put it to you that prophecy is not actually that. Prophecy, prophecy does point to things that are going to happen in the future. It points to what God is doing. But prophecy is much more than that. Prophecy contains the thing that God is doing. So in that sense, prophecy is not just a, a statement of words. It is a thing itself. That's why in the Bible, when the word hope is used, yeah, the word hope does not just mean optimism or some point in pointing to something good that's going to happen. Hope is the substance of that thing. It can be received. The Word of God contains the reality to which it, is, to which it points. That's nothing like, like it. And it always starts small. And so when we are reminded of Advent, we are reminded of the fact that Christ's coming began as a little speck. And not many people could notice it, except those who are seeking for it, whose hearts are open and soft towards God. Amen? Um, and I like this uh, thing that C.S. Lewis said. He said, once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than the whole world. Can you imagine that? Once a stable had something in it that was bigger than the whole world. How do you expect to see this happening? That that which is infinitely immense can be poured into a very small space. Yeah? And, and that is what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says, Once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. And so may I suggest to you that Advent is a time in which we recognize the little speck of a word that God is speaking 
recognizing that word is not just a true statement, not a statement of fact or statement of prediction, but it contains the very thing that it is speaking about. That is why that whole passage is so powerful when you, when you look at it in Micah chapter 5. I'm going to read it to you again. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel from this small beginning. As we prepare ourselves for uh, Christmas in Advent, you, want that, you and I want to look for those small Bethlehem Ephrata things. Don't you think? Because it is from this that God actually is going, bringing forth something whose goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Isn't it amazing? That in the stable, something was poured into that place that was older than the stable. That thing that we call a baby was older than the stable itself. It was older than time immemorial as well. <laughs> Therefore, he will give them up until the time in which she is in labor, has born a child. And so Israel went through this period in which it felt like they were given up by God. It felt like they were abandoned by God. It is in this place where those who could discern it could see that the specks of God were already there. Amen? And I just want to just leave this with you as we go into the sermon. The sermon will, will continue this theme as we think about the fact that the, thing, the big things of God, the immense things of God can only be held by people who can recognize the seed, the really small thing there. Most people can't. And if you can't recognize the immensity of God in the seed, you can't handle big things. You cannot handle immense things. They will blow up in your hands. That's why big things have been seen just recently to have collapsed so many times. But what God is doing is not calling a great number of people. He's putting His hand on a, great, a number of great people. And He's doing that in us. Amen? Let us pray. We welcome you. O little child of Bethlehem, who was more immense than Bethlehem itself, more immense than the world that He created, we welcome you. And we ask you that even now as we um, be quiet before you, you would uh, call up those things unseen, but which you are there in. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Last Sunday, we were talking about the way in which God had used Gideon and the nation of Israel in a very peculiar way. And if you can turn with me to Judges chapter 7, we will uh, look at it again. We talked about two strategies that God gave to Gideon. There were supernatural strategies to destroy the oppressor, uh, the, the Midianites. And one was the, the torch in a jar, right? And God said to Gideon, you're going to smash the jar and then the torch light, the light from the torch will, that had always been there will be manifest. And the only way you can, you can see the light is when the, the jar is smashed. The other thing had to do with the trumpet. So let's have a look at this. Um, we're, we're at Judges chapter 7, verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came out to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the pitchers that were in their hands. There were these two things, the trumpets that had to be blown and the pitchers that had to be smashed, or the jars that had to be smashed. And when the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing, and cried, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And each stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran, crying out as they fled. And when they blew three hundred trumpets, the Lord set the 
sword of one against another, at even, even throughout the whole army, and the army fled as far as Bethshitta towards Zerarah, as far as the edge of Abel, Meholah, by Tabat. The men of Israel were summoned from Naphtali and Asher and Manasseh, and they pursued Midian. So Gideon called all the rest of the tribes, because at that time, only a select people, a select company of people, a, a number of great people were being used by God. Okay? But they brought victory to the rest of, the, of Israel. Now, the thing is this. There are two things that uh, I feel that the Lord wants to speak about. Uh, we, we have spoke, spoken about the jars and the torches. The second thing has to do with the trumpets. Yeah? The trumpets. The trumpet in the, in the Old Testament and New Testament often is spoken of, more often than not, is spoken of as the, the voice of God, the, the prophetic voice. Yeah? The blowing of the trumpet had to do with calling out prophetically the word of the Lord, calling people out to action. Yeah? So the trumpet had to do, do with the word of God, the substance of God. Right? Now that trumpet was not just a loud sound. It says here when the trumpet was, was, was blown, and the jars were smashed, it says something that was disproportionate to the physical effect of that took place. Verse 20, 22. When they blew the 300, 300 trumpets, who set every sword against one another? It's there, yeah. The Lord. It was not necessarily just the trumpet that made it happen. Not just the torch, it says, when the trumpet was blown, the Lord did it. Now, I would put it to you that the strategy that uh, Gideon used was a God strategy that required God to be in it. The plan sounds cute, right? Divide 300 people into, into, into 100, 100, 100 and surround the... Surround the um, the Midian, Midianite camp. Remember that the Midianite camp was very vast. It spread all through the whole valley. Yeah, it spread like locusts all through the valley. So 300 is not just, you know, surrounding a little garden, back, backyard. It was a huge place. And so the trumpet had to be very loud, right? Yes. Yes. 300 people could not encompass Thousands and thousands of people. It says the Lord set every sword against it. I'll put it to you that the trumpet sound was backed up by the Lord. What was required was not just a good strategy in which you smash the jars, let the light come out, and by then the elements of surprise would actually destroy the Midianites. No, it's not enough. The trumpet is not enough to cause panic. 300 people blowing a trumpet is not enough for tens of thousands of people to be routed. It says, the Lord set them and, and, and ambush or, or made them put their swords against one another. The point about the trumpet is that it is a supernatural phenomenon that took place. What say you? When I, was, when I read this, this story in Sunday school, I thought God gave Gideon a very good idea. I thought God did something really cute. I thought, wow, that's so cute. That's almost funny. That God would do something so, so small and so cute to make this great army of people just completely fall over themselves. I thought that's what, what the point was. But actually, when I read it again, I think that this is completely wrong. That actually, the, the strategy of the Lord required the Lord to do it. Amen? I want to talk about this because I believe that there is not only a strategy in which God actually allows us to be broken so that when we move while we are broken, God's light will shine. But there is something about the Lord building up the sound of a trumpet in us. Building up the anointing in our voice, in, 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 in His Word, that causes the supernatural to take place in our lives. I believe that's really true. Now, God does not only work in supernatural ways. He works within the structure of, nat of nature. Right? He doesn't create the universe and then says, I'm going to not do anything with the universe. I'm going to do it my way now. And discard, you know. No, He works through 
the structures of nature and to work through science, as we saw just now. But, that, but there's, there's more to it than that. That God, and the word that we use in theology, co-inheres with nature. So much so that when the Lord's power and His supernatural work work through nature, it can sometimes feel like very natural. But if you have an understanding that God interpenetrates nature and, 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 and physical forces, then we expect God to be at work. The Bible says He upholds the world by the word of His power so that in, through natural things, God is actually there. I would put it to you that if nature didn't have God in His invisible hand working through that, the whole thing would collapse before long. Not, maybe not immediately, but before long. The world is upheld scientifically by God's work, by God's hand. Amen? And that's why there is no contradiction between science and, uh, and spiritual life, spirituality. But what we saw is this, something that took place um, about the trumpet that is very connected with the Advent meditation that we just had. And that has to do with the fact that God's Word is of a wholly different nature than just prediction. Yeah? How would Gideon develop the voice of God in him? How do we do that? If it is true that God is especially present in the Bethlehems of our lives that, that are too small, too insignificant, too desolate, too abandoned seeming in our lives. How do we recognize and how do we begin to work to develop the voice of God in us in such a way that when God is able to speak and we can hear it, He backs it up. And more than just our own comprehension of the words actually happens. Let's have a look at this. I think there are two trumpets that the New Testament talks about. I'm going to talk about the first trumpet, okay? You can find this in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, you don't have to turn, turn to it. Um, I'm just going to, I could re just read it to you. Jesus talks about a certain kind of trumpet that is being used uh, in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to, the, to you, they already have their reward. What's their reward? They have the respect of people. They made an impression. Now, there's one kind of trumpet that's, that's used, in, and that's totally the trumpet of the flesh, in which we communicate to create an impression in someone else. Yeah? Speech or whatever ways in which we learn how to communicate or talk and all that. Then the idea of that is to create an impression in another person, create a response in the other person. Right? That kind of trumpet is the, the trumpet that Jesus was, uh, was uh, lampooning when he says, you know, don't be like them. Don't be like them in the market when they got... And, and we, are, we are told that um, actually some of the historians like um, um, uh, Josephus talked about how some of these Pharisees, when they were, they were walk through the streets very, very um, um, conspicuously, they would have people going in front of them blowing a trumpet. And then they would get their, their silver or whatever, their contributions, and they will make a big show of it. And they would give it very, very conspicuously to the poor or those who are beggars and all that. You, they would do that. And before something was given, they would be a, everybody has to stop, and then the trumpet would blow, and they would say, I'm giving this in the name of, of God, of, of, of Adonai. And, that, and, and, and these things would happen. And what uh, the New Testament tells us is this is not the kind of trumpet we are talking about. But you know what? We can sometimes hone the skill of that kind of trumpet because we want to create 
an effect upon another person. And so we have all kinds of language that we hone so that the, 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 the communication will be effective. That need not be anything wrong. But if that's your trumpet, your trumpet is only the trumpet of the flesh. I think what happens is this. We put so much emphasis on that kind of communication and all the tools that, and the skills that come with that that we have lost the fact that when God speaks about a trumpet, He means something quite different. And what God wants to do is to give us a word that has substance, that is stronger than the enemy of Midian. That it has an answer, a pushback to all our fears. And I'll put it to you that a person as timid as, 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 as Gideon showed a development in, from Judges chapter 6 to Judges chapter 7 that showed a person who had doubted God, was even angry with God, who actually had many arguments against God's good ex- existence as a good God. He had that, and he developed into a person who could recognize the moment when the Holy, the, the, when the Holy Spirit had, had put his finger upon him and said, the Lord has given us a Midian into our hands. He had moved from a person who said God doesn't work to a point where he knew exactly the moment in which the Holy Spirit was going to break out. Not too early, not too late. I'll put it to you that the the development that Gideon had in his life to come from a person of non-belief to a person of not just belief, not believing that, that the resurrection would happen. You know how Martha said, I know the resurrection will come. But Jesus is saying, this, what about this particular situation? Gideon had come to a point where he could come to that particular situation, and when he saw, when he saw the sign in the tents of Midian, he said, the Lord has given us into, Midian into our hands. Now let's go. And he would speak this to the children of Israel to such an extent that they would believe him. That in itself is a miracle. So let's talk about this, right? How did Gideon develop that? How did Gideon develop the voice of God inside him to such an extent that the voice of God was not just a prediction of words that was true, but it was the substance of the thing itself. And that voice itself could make Midian set its sword against each other because God was in it. I think that in the days to come, all of us will need to have that. We are going to be strong in the Word so that our identity is built upon the Word of God not something that's sort of an aside or something that comes at in, 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 uh, in uh, irregular terms, but as something that, that catches us and holds us in our trials and in our fears. What say you? Huh? I, think that's, I, think, I think that's what God has for us. He brings us and He reduces us to our point of strength with the 300. And then from that place, He helps us to locate where the strength is. And the strength is in the torch as well as the trumpet. Yeah? Let's have a look at this. What, what, what is it that made Gideon strong? Here's one. When God called Gideon, He asked him to do one thing before he did anything else. And this has to do with chapter 6. All right, verse 25. Now on the same night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father. Because the children of Israel had come to a place where they were so oppressed, and God did not seem to be there that they started worshipping Baal, yeah? the Canaanite gods. And his father had a Baal altar in their house and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Okay, Baal is the male god, Asherah is the female god. And they would copulate in order to bring um, um, fruitfulness. And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of this stronghold in an orderly manner and take a second bull 
and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah which you shall cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did the Lord as the Lord spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was torn down, and Asherah which was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar which had been built. And so what he did was that he, in the night, because he was too afraid, he, dis- he, he tore down the family altar. He overcame the spirits that were oppressing his family first. Oppressing, oppress, opp- oppressing their community. He was afraid, so he had not dealt with his fear yet. But he was obedient to God. And so he did the next best thing. Instead of doing it in broad daylight, which I think was smart of him, he did it at night. But what he had to do was to de- destroy the powers that were oppressing or over his family. Idols are coping mechanisms, that's all. An idol is a coping mechanism. It helps you to cope with things that you're afraid of, you're afraid to lose, you're afraid to, to, that would happen. Idols are just intermediaries that you and I use to cope with the difficulties in life. These idols could be money, it could be popularity, it could be people who are important to you, it could be community, it could be church, it could be anything, it could be any person, it could be any, any person that you depend on as a coping mechanism for the difficulty in life. What say you? And the family in their oppressed state had coping mechanisms. And may I suggest to you that the first thing that God does in order to build His, His voice in us to something that becomes solid, is to actually deal with the things that are our coping mechanisms, things that we think we can't do without. I put it to you that in this period, many of you and I, you and me too, are going through times in which idols are being destroyed in your life. You're being stripped. The things that you thought that the world could could give to you that will help you seem to be slipping away or not working. And one of the things that had to happen was that um, um, Gideon had to deal with the, the, the enemy that was within his own household. Yeah? That safe place, which is an idol. That dependency, which is an idol. The way in which things must work out in just so, just so, which is an idol. Now what God does is that He just takes that away. And He shows us, I can still make it happen. Just so. Beyond just so. And that's the first thing that happens. You want to watch out for that. You want to watch out for that. The family has certain ways in which they are familiar with in depending upon things, and you want to watch out for that because God may be removing that so that the, 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 the dome of hearing is clear of those things. One of the things is that we need to be able to show off how good we are. One of the things that I was very interested to, 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 to find out when I first went to Fuller whether it was that People dis- introduce themselves to me in a very different way from the, from the way they introduce themselves to me in Malaysia. When somebody in Malaysia, where I, where I come from, um, introduces themselves to me, they say, my name is whatever, Ang Huat, John, Mutu, Sami. That's it. When people in full of introduce themselves, they'll say, my name is this. I planted this church. I did this. I'm the CEO of this. And they always have to give me their credentials because that is the means of having an identity. Does that make sense? They want me to know that they are also good. That they are also worthy of, of, of being known. It's almost as if the idol is our identity that we get from our achievements or our status and all that. And God help me if you don't know that I have disability. So there are ways in which we in our community have this familiar way of serving idols in that way because we feel that these idols, these coping mechanisms are necessary, 
I have to have this. I have to have this time, money, resources, person, whatever, in order for me to be able to cope with the, the vicissitudes of life. Amen? So the first thing that Gideon did was to actually face the fear that this idol was assuaging Baal. The, the word Baal means Lord. Yeah? And so these coping me- mechanisms will lord it over you. Yes? And that's why God says to, to, to the nation of Israel through Hosea, He says, when that day comes, you will no longer call me Baal. You will no longer just call me Lord, but you will call me my husband. You won't just call me Lord. Of course, it's a play on words, right? You won't just call me Baal. And your relationship with me will, will, will be not one in which I am just your Lord, lording it over you. So that's the first thing that seems to have happened. But the, God goes deeper than that, okay? So he, he goes through this whole reduction, which we talked about in uh, chapter 7. The people with you are still too, too many for me to give Midian into their hands. He, he deals with Gideon's weakness. So here it is, verse 9 of chapter 7. Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, Go with Pura, your servant, down to the camp, and you will hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. I'll put it to you that God is so interested in our fears that he takes the initiative to deal with them. Now, Gideon had asked for signs before, but here in chapter 7, he did not ask for a sign. God says, if you are afraid, you go down there. And I'll have an answer for you which will strengthen you. I know we talked about it last week. But I want to put it, emphasize to you that fears are something that God is really into. He really wants to help us there. He doesn't want us to just be not fearful. He wants to help us even when we're not asking for that help. I love it. I love it that Gideon did mighty things, but he was really pretty scared. Which tells me that in our littleness, in our, in, our, in, our, in our pusillanimity, God actually comes to us in such a way that He says, You got any fears? I'm there, I'm right on it for you. And so He says to Gideon, Go down to the Midian's, Midianites camp and listen and eavesdrop at their tent. He goes down and He hears one Midianite talking to another in the night. And he says, I dreamt that there was a, 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 roll, a roll of barley cakes that came upon our tents and smashed all our tents. And the, his friend says, this is nothing but the sword of the Lord. And Midian, God has given Midian into their hands. It was a Midianite speaking, non-Christian, not anointed. But God works through nature, right? Is it a co- coincidence? Is it a coincidence? Of course it is. (laughs) It is a coincidence. You can attribute all the dreams to natural causes. But God's timing is perfect. God's providence is perfect. You may not call it a miracle, but God's providence in such a way that He He can arrange it in such a way that He who knows everything can just arrange circumstances in such a way that Gideon hears that at that very moment. He just happened to be among all those tents, among, just there. What are the chances? I don't know. But if you don't say that that's a miracle, it's okay. You can say, the Lord arranged it. Yeah, all, all you smart people. Because God works through nature. But it says, one, He's the one who's holding it up. Amen? And as He did that, it, Gideon because of the fact that there is one layer of idolatry that had been 
one layer of voices and sounds that had been sheared off from him, he could hear a little bit more clearly. He could recognize the voice of God in the midst of Midian. And he comes and he hears it. And look what he says. All right. This is wonderful. Okay. Verse 14. The Midianite. His friend replied, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midianite, Midian and all the camp into his hand. Verse 15. Then when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and he said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your, your hands. Boom, like that. Who would believe that? If I, were, if, if I were not listening to God, I would think, Gideon, what did you eat last night? Right? But somehow, there was poured into Gideon's voice the inspiration of God. The trumpet sound. He could hear it. And he could recognize it. He could speak it out to such an extent that when he spoke it, all 300 believed him. He himself believed it. That's amazing, isn't it? I would say God comforts us in all our fears. I want to speak a bit more about that because we all have fears. And God wants to give us something to comfort our fears because he knows how weak we are. He knows how anxious we are. He knows how easily we are susceptible to bad news. He knows the kind of conclusions, the, the disastrous conclusions we come to when we have a little bit of data. And the thing about him is that God's so loving, you see. His gentleness, Psalm 18 says, will make me great. So that we don't have to try and be strong in front of our Father. We can just be as weak as we really are. In fact, I want to t tell you, to encourage you, be as weak as you can. Even find those weaknesses that you never knew you had. Because God is there and He's anticipating it before you even ask Him about it. And that is why it's really important for us to go with, to Him with our fears, our anxieties, because He's not saying, nah, 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 get off. Be strong. Yeah? Yes, He says be strong, be courageous, all that, yes. But He says, bring me all your fears. Bring me all your fears. I love that. I love that because I am a recipient of that. I've experienced His gentleness in the midst of my fears and my anxieties. Amen? You know, when we... Uh, Brian is here, so he, he, he was there during that era. When we as a church decided that we're going to seek the Lord about whether we're going to buy this church or not, it seemed like a huge, huge mountain cross didn't see how it happened and I don't mind telling you that as the church got more and more excited about buying this piece of land we had about eight the church was getting whoopy whoopy whooping it up wow and there were words and our prophecies and all that and those days I remember we had a members meeting and, and, and everybody came up with a word and I was feeling good about it that one day later depression set in and I had just read a book by Charles Blake and Charles Blake had gone went into a, a, um, a building project that was way beyond what they could afford and he went into prison for that so I just finished reading that book and I remember thinking, how can I, as a pastor, lead the church into something that doesn't even make sense? Doesn't even make sense. You see, on the outside, people look, oh, you're doing something really great, really bold. But if they could really look into our hearts, yeah, really look into the, 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 the innards of, the, of, our, of, our, of our courage, inside you just see something that's just, just mush. And I was feeling that exactly. And I did one thing. I just said, we're going to just keep praying. praying." So I remember one time, two brothers came to, 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 to my house and we were going to start praying. 
about this this building and uh, we started praying I was feeling a bit discouraged I didn't tell him that how discouraged I was I didn't want to discourage them <laughs> but I was myself quite quite in trepidation and then as they were praying they prayed out something from Isaiah chapter 45, which was exactly what I had had for my devotions that morning. That's why corporate prayer is very powerful. If you thought God heard, told you something, go to corporate prayer. You may find a confirmation from it, from someone else. That's the only way I know how to learn, how to hear from God, right? Right? I may have all these things that God may be speaking to me, and I don't know whether I, I should act out on it. And then I hear someone in, in, in corporate prayer praying the same thing. And this is what I, got, I received in uh, my devotions that morning as I was seeking the Lord. And what I received from praying with these two brothers. I have taken you by the right hand to subdue nations before you, to open doors before Actually, it's him speaking about Cyrus. So that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through the iron bars. And I'll give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord of God of Israel, who calls you by name. And God was speaking to that, that to me regarding the, the closed doors. Also, the need that we had for finances. We were going to make an approach to buy this building not actually having the money. Ridiculous, right? How in the logic of God does He call us to things that cannot logically come together and yet speak to you in a logical way? And here's the spiritual logic I had. The logic I had to do with the fact that God has spoken that verse to me. And of all the things that in this whole Bible that my two brothers would pray out, they chose to pray out exactly the word that God gave to me. The 300 are a company of people who can hear from God. But they're also a community of people who learn how to hear from God by bearing witness with one another. Amen. So how did Gideon hear from God? Develop the voice of the trumpet? He learned how God could actually speak to him from outside. Amen. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so God speaks to him in his fear. I want to put it to you that you can bring your fears to God. You can bring your fears to God. The fears are something that come out from us. The comfort of God is God's pushback to those fears. I can have fears that come out of all kinds of psychological reasons, all psychological sources, but at the end of the day, the comfort has to be the pushback of God to those things. What say you? That's why I say comfort is the authority that we have because the comfort is the pushback that God gives to us when our fears are coming up, our anxieties are coming up. When my anxieties come up, I need God to push back on them. I can't go to God as this silent one who disagrees with me. I am not helped when God says, yeah, I agree, you're in, a really, you're in really deep trouble. I feel what you feel. I feel your pain. Bye-bye. I validate your anxieties. That does not help me, actually. I need God to push back. When I complain to God and I have a lament, I need God to push back upon me. What say you? It is the pushback that has authority. Not the fact that I analyze my problem correctly. It's not the fact that I, can, I, need, I need to be affirmed for the, 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 the powerful observation I have about myself, that I am fearful. I am fearful. But the authority comes from the fact that God pushed back on that, that fear and says, fear not. 
Amen? It is this pushback that we seek. This pushback is very precious. Or else we will be nothing but the sum total of our own observations, our own thinking, our own what, what, uh, what, we, what philosophers call our own solipsism, our own talking to ourselves and answering ourselves and agreeing with ourselves. That's all great if you want to affirm yourself. But I need a pushback. I need God to say, no, you are not condemned. No, you are not going to have disaster. No, I'm going to be there for you. Amen? I need that. And when I was experiencing my cancer diagnosis, every day, every morning, I would have fears that will come up for me, anxieties that will come up for me. And as these anxieties came up, I had no answer to them. I had read up the internet. I, 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 I list, watched countless YouTube videos on medicine and on cancer and all the right, right places. And I had no answer. I had no answer. My fears were absolutely founded on fact. But I needed an answer. I needed pushback from God. And this is what God wants to give to us, or else your trumpet sound will not be strong. You need a, the strength of the pushback. And so when God spoke back to um, um, Gideon from the tent, God gave him that pushback, and he received it. Amen? Every morning I woke up. When I woke up, all the, the thoughts would come flooding in. All the thoughts would come flooding in. I would wake up early, not because I was wanting to do my quiet time, but because of the fact that I was assailed by those thoughts. I was assailed by the fact that my life would never be the same again because of that. Yeah? And I have to find God. I have to stay, stay in my place and I would pray and I would pray in the Spirit. I had no idea what God would say. I had no idea. There were times when I was frantic. There were times in which I did not know where to go. There were times in which I would seek God and I asked God, where, where, where? And no answer would come. But I had no choice. I had to wait. Because 12 o'clock we had prayer, daily prayer. In the evening I had pillars. And, 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 and in, the mean, in the meantime I had to meet with people. And I realized that I need to have something inside me that, that could just make me normal. And this went on for years, for a few years. Every day, not, nothing could be taken for granted. Every day, I had to come up and I say, Lord, I have to be normal again. I need your pushback. I need your pushback. Every day, God would, 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 I would wait upon God. Sometimes I would wait from early in the morning, from 4 o'clock all the way to 11 o'clock. Sometimes the answer would come immediately. Sometimes the answer would come 12 o'clock. Sometimes it would come 10 o'clock. Sometimes it would come at 3 o'clock. And until that thing came back, I had no pushback from my own thoughts. And I understood that my own thoughts would be um, the master over me. They would control everything I did. I had, no in, I had not enough discipline in my mind to be able to fight them without feeling ambivalent. But I needed something pushed, put, to be pushed back that was power, more powerful than my own mind. I needed that thing that God would back up as well. Amen? So the trumpet sound was beginning to be, to, to be formed during those times when in, in which I would cry out to God, call out to God. That's why the lamentations in Psalms were very, very important because when God gives us lamentational Psalms, right? You know, Lord, why have you left us like this? And, and um, you know, come and save us, come and save us. He allows that Psalm to be the instrument by which we can enter into the struggle. So that the Psalms are not a prediction of everything is going to be okay. At first, I, I used to, to, to seek the Lord for a word. And the, 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 what I would ask God is, God, is it going to be okay? Am I going to be healed? And sometimes God would give me a word. He has set me free from Sheol. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I was answering a word that would predict what was going to happen. Does that make sense? 
But sometimes he gives us different kinds of words. He gives us laments. Laments. Something in which the psalmist is wrestling. Have you had those ones? Lord, do this. Lord, so, 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 um, rescue me. Lord, restore Israel. Yes? Lord, build up the, 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 the cities of Jerusalem again and, and Judah again. Build up those things. And he allows me to enter in that intercession that the psalmist is having. And he confirms the intercession. And it's, it's almost as if he's saying, pray. All right, get into that prayer. Because as you pray, I will pray through you. And instead of just telling and predicting that it's going to be okay, he enter, brings me into the intercession I need to enter. I have no idea what was going on in that intercession. All I knew was to pray in the Spirit and to enter in. And I could feel something of that wrestling, that struggle. And the Lord was bringing me into that struggle in such a way that as I continued to struggle, somewhere around 10 o'clock, somewhere around 9 o'clock, sometimes around 11 o'clock, the peace would come. The pushback. And I knew, at least for one day, <laughs> it's going to be okay. Does that make sense? But sometimes when he would bring me into those passages that spoke of the wrestling, the struggle, and in which those passages, the psalmist doesn't say definitively God is going to do this, but he says, Lord, do this. Call me. Call, rise up, O oh God, in this. The psalmist is inviting me to enter into what the Holy Spirit is doing in real time in my life. Does that make sense? So I enter into that, in, into that intercession, pray in the Spirit, call out to God, call out to God, refuse to, 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 to get out of that place until something happens. And you know, the amazing thing is, if I, had a, if I had a meeting at about 9 o'clock in the morning, the Lord would give me a word before 9 o'clock. If I didn't have one, I may, ha I may have to wait until 10 or 11 o'clock. But He will always come on time. But I knew that what was happening was that during that period, the Lord was building up a sense of pushback from Him. I today compared with three, two years ago, feel the pushback of God so much more presently than I did before. Before, I felt the strength of my own thought, my own ideas, my own analysis, my own uh, observation, my own logic. It's a lonely place, actually. Now I feel the pushback of God, the word of the Lord, more strongly than my own feelings, my own thoughts. Does that make sense? So much so that when I'm speaking, I am more confident, I am more convicted about that. Amen? Can you see how in doing this and God bringing us into this place of comfort, the comfort, the pushback of God, the alternative reality that He gives to me, He speaks into me, is actually making me stronger, making you and I stronger in the, in the midst of this place where He reduces us to our place of strength. Praise you, Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's building up the trumpet. So much so that when the trumpet happens, the Lord makes the enemy fight against himself. Amen? Now, we are, we, we are, we are actually being prepared for the days ahead. So that a person who has that inkling into God's presence and God's Mind, God's word, God's secrets will be able to shine in the evil day. There will be a lot of people who are really smart, who are infatuated by their own thoughts. They are infatuated by their own smartness. And in the evil day, they will be lost. It will be a lonely place because they only know the voice of their own absolute brilliance. What we need is not that lonely voice the voice of ourselves, we need the voice of God. How will it come? You will know. If you don't know, if you haven't felt it, it hasn't come yet. But it's on the way. It's on the way. Because when conviction happens, you don't think, am I having conviction or not? No, you can't help having conviction. Amen? Now, it may take you a bit of time, but it's okay. God will fit into your schedule to some extent. I never found a time in which God didn't speak to me before an appointment and when she had to see somebody. 
Praise God. And so that is basically how the comfort of God increased the voice of the trumpet in our lives. So a few weeks ago, they took my PSA test, uh, my, my, my readings, and they were able to tell me that cancer is undetectable. Mm, yeah. Praise God. Praise God. And I look back at my devotion books. Every day God spoke to me. Everything came to pass. Everything came to pass. There was a point in which, after my, my surgery and all that, I needed to have also radiation therapy as well. And during that period of radiation therapy, there were 17 weeks of it. And the Lord had spoken to me before my surgery, even before radiation therapy, from Psalm 21, that uh, He will destroy enemies, He will find out all my enemies, and He will make them an, 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 a, a, a fiery oven in His sight. Whew. So after my surgery, I had a feeling that God was going to do one more step that will have radiotherapy as well. And true enough, it was. It happened. Also, during that period, I, I was a bit concerned about whether the, the radiotherapy would, be, would have a lot of side effects. And the Lord gave me a word in, in Isaiah 43. He says, when you go through the fire, you will not be, scor be scorched. I got to tell you that this radiation therapy was very comfortable, very relaxing, very therapeutic. I'd go in for my few minutes of radiotherapy, they'd lie down, we'd joke around and all that. I've given so many recommendations for good restaurants for them to go. And all my, all my therapists have all tried all the restaurants that I've recommended to them. That's so great. I would come in for radiotherapy and, and they say, any more restaurants that you can recommend to us? And I shared with them about, about God. Shared with them about my church and all that. They have threatened to come. So far, they haven't taken it up yet. But it was during that time where God actually made it comfortable for me. Now, I, all I can say is this. The Lord's comfort is His pushback. Amen? May I suggest to you that God is doing this in our lives? May I recommend to you urge you, do your devotions, spend time with Him. Don't be discouraged when you don't hear anything from Him. He will come on the, at the right time. And all the waiting is going to be strengthening you, it's going to edify you. Amen? So, uh, Paul says, and with this I will close, in First Corinthians chapter 14, he says, when you blow the trumpet, you should not have an uncertain sound. There are many Christians who can spout out Bible verses and give out Bible bullets, but that's an uncertain sound. What the trumpet is, is not information or Bible verses. It has to do with more than that. It has to do with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit who backs up His Word. Amen? So today, as we um, get ready to, um, to receive the Lord in this first candle, the candle of hope and prophecy. May I suggest to you that as we bow our heads in prayer right now, we open ourselves to the Lord, perhaps because His presence is here. He will speak to you now. Like a light touch, a little speck, in the midst of our smallness and our own puniness, our own fragility, let the Lord be invited right now into our midst. We welcome you. I'm so thankful for the song that we sang in worship. The Lord, our refuge, a hiding place. Invest your life in Him. He will heal you of idolatry, 
Narcissism. Fear. Lord, we welcome you. Come and make your presence felt and known tonight, today. In the name of Jesus, we welcome you. For some, you just experience it as the Lord putting a conviction. The Lord has given Midian into your hands. Grab it. Just grab it. Take it. Receive it. Even if I'm wrong, I will receive it. You have the power to, make, to, to justify your own word. I don't have to do anything of that. He can back up his own word. There are too many uncertainties ahead of us. Too many hazards for us to not have a word from God. You may think you're clutching at straws. But God oversees and superintends superintends every part of that. He's able to guide you and make your path straight. Even if you're going the wrong way, you can correct our path. So we welcome you. In Jesus' name.